Amen. You may be seated. All right, I want to shout out to Anthony, too, for staying and singing with us. So if, if you get a chance, you need to go and, and look at the first service. We had the whole crew joint the God's body together. It was a beautiful thing and an exciting service. Thank you for my brother Raymond who brought the message. And uh, he's, a, he's a good friend of Christ, good pastor, pastor's heart. And I think we're a little, our passion for God and our faith is the same. But I think we also, so we have uh, commonality in Christ, but I think we also had times in our lives where we weren't so pastorally, right? Yeah. So. Yes, and so I think we can connect that way. Uh, I, in fact, I didn't tell you this. I was sharing with some of the band members. I was coming into church today, and I was listening in the Rolling Stones song, Symphony of the Devil, right? Yeah, who knows that song? Okay, so you know how it goes, right? right? It's the devil, he's, he's given all these this references about all he's done throughout time, and the chorus is, um, pleased to meet you, won't you guess my name? And I always think, right after I sing that, pleased to meet you, won't you guess my name? I said, I believe we've already met, right? Right? You understand that. All right. Our scripture today comes out of the gospel of John, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20. Listen for the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, and the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And that evening, on the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked, and with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that uh, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, uh, Lord, would be pleasing to you, would honor uh, the story and the power of a resurrected Lord. It is in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's been a a powerful week if you have gone through our services on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Good Friday, it was a powerful service. As I said, I, I strongly commend it to you to go listen to, and it was just beautiful. Um, but there was this, one of the things that is read and we hear about is that Jesus saying the words, it is finished on the cross. 
that he's up there and, and he says it is finished and he bows his head and breathes his last breath. Now that is a, a all-encompassing statement that could cover a lot of things when Jesus says it is finished. Well, one, we know it was, there was suffering and pain. He had been arrested. He had been tortured. He had gone through a tremendous amount of suffering and pain and nailed to the cross, stabbed in the side, and all of that mess and pain and suffering, it is finished. It is over. But also, it wasn't just that. It was that as we read in Hebrews, and we know that Jesus on the cross had fulfilled the justice demands of the law. He was the perfect sacrifice. We, we, we talked on Monday, Thursday about Jesus instituting uh, the Lord's Supper on the, the night they remembered the Passover. And that's when God was going to condemn the firstborn of every household. And he said, go home and mark the, the doorpost with the blood of the lamb so that when God's judgment comes upon the land, it will pass over all those that are marked with the blood. And he was going to deliver his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And now it was going to be a much greater deliverance. It was going to be a much more powerful salvation. All those that are marked with the blood of the Lamb, God's judgment will pass over when it comes. And Jesus being the, the eternal high priest, all the, the, the covenants and the law that was required to come before God uh, were no more. Jesus no longer had to, we no longer had to go through the human high priest to approach the very presence of God because we had the perfect eternal high priest in Jesus. There is no more high priest. I shared the story sometimes with, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. Um, I was at a parsonage several years ago at another church up in Fort Worth. Area, and these two LDS ladies came by the house. And so they were visiting. And I always respect their, their faithfulness and their intentionality. And so they started talking about Joseph Smith, their high priest, and I said, oh, okay, Joseph Smith. I said, but what is that? They didn't know who I was. They didn't know it was a parsonage. I said, but what do you do with the part in Hebrews that, and I went on this diatribe about Jesus being the eternal living high priest for all eternity. There is no more high priest except Jesus. We don't, and I just went on for about 15 minutes and they looked at me and said, we don't know about that. I said, come back tomorrow, and they, said, they never came back. <laughs> but not only the eternal high priest, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God, unblemished, no sin. And so all of that was, and then God's judgment upon sin and evil in the world was going to come upon the cross. And all of that was going to be met, all the demands of God's justice, all the demands of the law, all of it, when Jesus was on the cross and bowed his last breath, it was finished. It was complete. It was fulfilled. So there was going to be a new covenant. 
And then finally, I don't know if we ever think about this, but you know, Jesus, the incarnation, it started with the incarnation, God became flesh. God of the universe, creator of the world, came down and became flesh when dwelt among us. I can't imagine what that's like. The transition to come down and to be in this kind of slop, in this mess, the sin of the world. I mean, and Jesus knows he was the object of it. Just, and he, had, he experienced things. We often don't think about this. He didn't sin, but he got tired. He got angry. He got frustrated. He shook his head at the disciples a lot, right? He felt dejected. He was betrayed. He felt physical pain. That whole, that whole episode of the incarnation, now with Jesus on the cross, him fulfilling all that he came to do, it was finished. And when we think about the struggle that Jesus had uh, dealing with the humanness that was brand new to him and the struggle of pain and suffering that he experienced in this world, it reminds us that we struggle in this world. Now, we, we tend to fool ourselves, especially in this country, especially in our community where we have it so good, but we tend to, tend to fool ourselves and we think, well, we don't have as much problems as the next people. But if we examine each one's heart, each one's life, each one's family, you're struggling. Sometimes it's just struggling to feel worthy, to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to measure up. The pressure to measure up in all phases of our lives, we might not admit it, but you know, and I think a lot of careers have this, I know in in the, being a pastor in the clergy, they have what they call impo, in, imposter sir, um, syndrome, yeah. right? The deep down, you're out here and you're feeling it, but you're like, yeah, that they don't know me. This really isn't. I think we all suffer from that, yeah. right? And we deny to other people, but we deny to ourselves that sometimes life just beats us down and it is a struggle, and sometimes we just feel like, gosh, I wish it was finished. Not life, but the struggle of life, the burden of life. And we have to come to terms with that. See, in this world, we try to measure up. We try to justify ourselves, if you will, justify our existence, justify ourselves, measure up by addition, right? That's in the world. We try to justify ourselves by addition. And what I mean by that is we struggle to find fulfillment, contentment, peace, and we struggle with all of that. To find that, we try to increase, add to it, right? We want more money. We want a bigger house, a different car, we want a better job. We want to promote. We want more, more, more. We think if we, if we get bigger and better, bigger and better, then somehow we will be justified and we will measure up. And it's like an addiction. 
because it will never satisfy. It will never be enough in this world because the world cannot satisfy that hunger and that thirst for God. And we're all seeking God, but we try to justify ourselves by addition in this world. And that is different, that is different than God's kingdom. Because how we, just, how we are justified is by subtraction, is by taking away. Jesus says to his disciples, in order to find your life, you must lose your life, right? And in order to find your life, you must lose your life. And you must die to yourself. You must die to your will and seek God's will. So you got to take a bunch of stuff away in order to be justified in God's kingdom. See, in God's kingdom, in Rock Bridge, you've heard me say this before, victory comes through surrender. Uh, we went to a conference, uh, the, the four of us on the staff, and we sat and we heard this speaker and we have an opportunity at, it's a conference, I'm too tired to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but, what, but what he said, he said, he was talking about the Holy Spirit and churches yielding to the Holy Spirit, surrendering. He said, we get, he was talking about church growth. He said, you know, the, this country has never been less Christian. Those saying that they are Christian of the Christian faith has never been lower in this country. But at the same time, we have the most mega churches we've ever had in this country. So he said, something's not adding up. And he's talk, he said, we have church growth strategies all the time about this strategy or this strategy for church growth. I've said on conferences, and I gotta be careful because I'm on tape. I've said on conferences, right? Got in trouble before, didn't it? Set in on conferences where we talked about church growth strategy for three hours, never mentioned Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's part of the problem of our growth. And he said, a phrase I love, he said, maybe in order to pursue church growth, let's do a lot less strategy and a lot more surrender. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Surrender to God's will. Surrender to the movement. Because it is through surrender that we gain victory. If we want to get ahead, we got to give up. We struggle so much. We've just done a book study on seculosity. And at the very end of the book, he talks about a story. And it's a lot to go into, but it's talking about how we try to measure up in the world. And even though we're, uh, churches might be down, he says, little our religion is up. We're always trying to fulfill some kind of law at work or our social status, our parenting, our families. We're, we're always trying to measure up to the latest trends and the pressures. And we're always trying to deem ourselves worthy. And he says, it's a burden. Just like when Paul is talking in Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians. He said, didn't you, weren't you justified by faith? Didn't, weren't you, uh, didn't you find the Spirit by faith? And now you want to go back to following the law? How'd that go for you before? Not too good. 
And so it is a struggle, and we have to stop struggling. And then he talks about, a, 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 at the end of the book, he tells a story about his father-in-law that was famous in their family. Every time they went to the beach, they would talk about it. At the time when they, he was younger, and he went to the beach, and he got caught in a riptide. And he said, almost drowned. But he was fighting it and fighting it. He was struggling and struggling. And he got so tired and he kind of resided resided to the fact that he was probably going to drown and die that he just gave up. What happened? He just went with the flow until he got out of the tide. See, that's what, even church can be a burden. Right? We, we come in and sometimes if churches aren't careful, well, I think there's a correlation here that church puts so much, becomes a legalistic church, becomes a law church, and it could be, a, I don't care if it's social justice, a morality church, a prosperity church, any of them can turn into a law church where you're just putting so much pressure. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to change the world. You, you got to do this. And you're like, man, I came here to be unburdened. I got a longer list that I'm not going to probably do and feel miserable about it too. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because throughout the Old Testament, we saw the Israelites, the Jewish people who represent us, humanity, constantly fall short of keeping God's law. Constantly fall short of living into covenant with God and failing over and over. And God, a lot of people say, well, there's no grace in the Old Testament. That's all it is. They fail God over and over again. And what does God say? He says, you return to me, I will return to you. And we got to wake up to the fact that we're never going to measure up. That's not popular in America, right? Because we got to measure up. But just like the Galatians, we're never going to save ourselves. We're never going to be holy enough, good enough, righteous enough. So we got to stop trying and let go and let God. We have to realize, come to the realization that we have to surrender to have victory. And that Only by that will God be able to save us. That's why so many people have to, you hear so many testimonies about people coming to Christ because they hit rock bottom. Because they were just floating through the world saying, I got this. It's like teaching your your kid to ride a bike. He goes, I got this, I got this. Crash. Right? How many times that have to happen before he gets it? And so we constantly have to be on guard And people have to hit rock bottom because it wakes you up and says, maybe I don't have this. Maybe I can't be righteous enough. Maybe I can't be good enough. I'm tired of the struggle. The story of the prodigal son. When did he decide to come home? When he first got there and he was boozing it up with women and had stacks of cash. Said, oh, he, did he go, the story, I believe it doesn't go. He got there and he had a blast. And he said, I think I'm going home now. No, he was eating the slop with the pigs. 
He said, well, maybe I don't got this. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I'm going to go home. See, that's the thing about the resurrection. It means that all things are possible. It doesn't matter what your struggle is, what you've done, where your life is now. It is, see, I said this in the prayer, and I talked about it at the sunrise service. The Bible does not, the resurrection is a powerful thing. We have resurrection power. And I know we say we're here on Easter and we're Christians, and we say we believe that that we have resurrection power, but we, let's be honest, we don't fully believe that. Because if we fully believe that, our lives would be completely different. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not beating you up or myself up. I mean, I believe it with all my heart and my mind and soul, but I don't comprehend it totally. I'm like the centurion that says, I believe, help my unbelief. We, we don't totally believe that because we can't totally comprehend it. But the Bible doesn't say, with God, most things are possible. The Bible doesn't say that, hey, you possibly have a pretty good chance if you follow Christ, if you accept Christ. It doesn't say any of that, Right? Because we have resurrection power. The resurrection means all things are possible. Not most things, not a, quite a few things, all things. All things. I shared this story before. I shared it this morning. When I was in seminary, Pastor Raymond, you know how that goes. I was in seminary and I had this one professor. And she might have known a lot about the Bible. Don't know if she was necessarily Christian. She had said something about one of the miracles. She was not big on miracles because they weren't logical. They didn't fit into um, her capacity. And she said, the, she said this phrase, if you believe that the walls of Jericho fell down like it says it did in the Bible, then you're a fool. And I wanted to say, oh, I wanted to say so bad, but I also wanted to pass and get out of seminary. So, so I didn't. But I wanted to say, you realize our whole faith is based on somebody being resurrected from the dead. So that means some walls could have come down. That means 5,000 people could have been fed, right? It, it, it doesn't seem mean that most things are possible, or quite a few are possible. It means all things are possible. All things. And that includes you, your past, your situation, your hurts, your insecurities, your fears. See, this is where we find grace, that we go with the flow, that we stop struggling and fighting and finally receive what Christ has given us. Let's stop being legalistic. It, and I'm telling you as a pastor, I fall into legalism in my own personal faith all the time. All the time. And, and not just faith, my, my law. Let me give you an example we talked about in the... So I run uh, and work out, but I'm so competitive, and that's supposed to be for leisure and release stress, right? But I get to a certain point and say, okay, three miles is my minimum, and ooh, I ran it in this time, this is my minimum time. And so then from that point on, 
I either fail or pass. I go out and I didn't run well, I failed. The law, it's a burden. It, my leisure stress, stress reliever has just caused me a great deal of stress. But we do that in all kinds of ways in our life and in our faith and in our churches. What Jesus has done for us on the cross and the resurrection is a gift. We can't earn it. If nothing we learned in the Old Testament, it tells us we can't earn it. The law has done its job. It has pointed, it has highlighted our sin, highlighted our inability to keep the law and points to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so it's done its job. And Jesus has done his job on the cross. It is finished and fully finished in the resurrection. All we have to do is receive it. Receive it. And then after that, you'll change. Some people come to uh, pastors and say, well, I would come, Jesus, and I feel like I'm getting this tug, but I, I don't want to change some things. And I tell them, you don't have to change anything to come to Christ. But if you truly come to Christ, you might change some things. They might change for you. But it's been done for you. Christianity, your faith, because of Christ's death and resurrection, is not about something that we do. It is all about what God has already done. And that is freedom. That is peace. That's where we find our peace. Jesus says, peace be with you. First thing he says after the resurrection, peace be with you. Because you can attain it now. Be, not because of what you've done or, or anything you worked for, but because I gave it to you. Take it. Take it. Receive it. Peace be with you. What about you? Have you received it? And I know you have. But the two things that made the disciples, that switched them, like remember the 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 disciples in the Gospels, they didn't really see it. They didn't really get it. They were kind of fumbling, bumbling disciples. And then the disciples of Acts were bold and outgoing for the sake of the Gospel to the point that legend has all of them except John who got exiled being, being killed for the gospel. They went to, the same people that scattered went to their deaths willingly for the gospel. What were the two, there was two things that happened in the middle of that. The, the before and the after is clear. What are the two things? First, and we're gonna have us get into this next week on the sermon series. First, they received the Holy Spirit. See, it wasn't, we say, oh, the disciples started the church. No, they didn't. The Holy Spirit did through them. Jesus was so clear about that and so worried about his disciples trying to do it, try it on their own. He said, go there and wait. Do not start until you receive the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit. And what was the other thing that happened in this time period, this transition? They experienced firsthand, touch for themselves, experience the risen Christ. 
They didn't need to say the prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus says, touch it. That's the source. So you know that you know that you know I have been risen. I am no longer in the tomb, but I have been raised from the dead. And because I live, you live. Let us receive that. Let us stop struggling. Let us stop fighting and just receive it. Let's stop going against the tide and letting the tide of the love and the grace and the power of the Spirit carry us through this life. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your patience with me. Lord, I pray that each one of us would receive your spirit, that we would die to ourselves, that we would lose ourselves, our will, our lives, that we might receive you, that we would stop trying to justify ourselves, measure up in church and in this world, and realize that we have already been justified before God through Christ, and that we are now a new creation. Lord, help us as the church universal, as the church under this roof, both New Birth and Rockbridge. Help us, Lord, to receive your spirit, to be molded and shaped and grown by your spirit, that we might be your people proclaiming to the world the good news of a resurrected Lord, and that because he lives, we live also. In Jesus' name, amen.